0: He is risen. I want to ask, actually, uh, all of you to stand for the reading of the resurrection story. Would you stand with me for a moment? Do you have a Bible? Mark chapter 16 is where we'll be today, but just uh, standing in honor of this story, I think it's uh, something that's very appropriate. Mark 16, 1 through 6. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. But He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. Father, we come to You this day, Resurrection Sunday, as a community of people to honor, to recognize, to pay homage to the resurrection of our Savior, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. We come and honor You, Lord, for the great and mighty act that You have done. You have ra- raised the dead. You have risen Your Son. And because You have risen Your Son, He being the firstfruits of the resurrection, so also You have promised to raise those who believe in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We come this day proclaiming that truth and thanking You that we will rise again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is the story here of uh, the resurrection. Mark speaks of three women uh, who were at the tomb that day. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of uh, James, and Salome, who had purchased spices that they may com- might come and anoint Their Lord. Actually, a comparison with other the the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Luke, reveals that there was a fourth woman, uh, Joanna, and perhaps others. Luke indicates that there were others with them. So there were at least four women at the tomb that day, as they came and and found the stone rolled away. The Bible uh, gives us very little details about these ladies. Very little details. In fact, in some cases, uh, with Mary, the mother of James, we know nothing about her other than she was Mary, the mother of James. Uh, Some speculate that she, uh, uh, it's indicated in another gospel, she was the wife of of Clopas, uh, and a derivative of his name might have been Alphaeus. So this could have been Mary, the mother of James, the son of Alphaeus, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. But Mary, the mother of James, is one who we know absolutely nothing about in church tradition or in the Scriptures. There's also Mary Magdalene, there's Salome, and there's also Joanna, who we don't see in in Mark's account. But this morning, I wanted to take a moment and share with you some noteworthy characteristics about these women. From what little we do know about them, I think it's significant that these were the ones who saw, who were the first to see, and first to hear of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now some of you might wonder, why study these women on Easter Sunday? Aren't we supposed to focus on Jesus today? And to that I say we are focusing on Christ. Because I believe the women to whom God first revealed the truth of the resurrection tells us a great deal about who our Lord is and who He has come for. And who He rose for. For starters, the fact that God chose four women to be the first recipients of the news of the resurrection tells us that God offers the benefits of salvation and redemption to all peoples. You see, women were among some of the least respected people in the first century. In first century Palestine, uh, women were very inferior in their culture. Uh, They were considered inferior to men. Their testimony was routinely discarded when contradicted by a man's word. The fact that Jesus' resurrection was first revealed to them tells us plainly that no one is out of God's reach. No one is overlooked. No one is ignored. No one is disregarded. And hence the title of my message today, we are never too far gone. We are never too far gone. Too far gone. There's no one inferior enough. No one who's sinned enough. No one who's insignificant or alienated enough or marginalized enough who is not out of the reach of God's redemption through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No one. No one is overlooked. We are never too far gone in Jesus Christ Skeptics of Christianity uh, often mock the resurrection story, and rightly so. If they can disprove the resurrection, uh, they effectively render Christianity null and void. So the resurrection comes uh, under heavy attack throughout the world. Uh, skeptics and agnostics and atheists and non-believers, they look at the resurrection and they mock it. They say, well, that's, that couldn't be... They often hold to a naturalistic understanding of the world, a world where the supernatural and the miraculous just isn't possible. They liken the resurrection to nothing more than fanciful myth or legend. But herein lies one of their greatest errors in mocking the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to say this very clearly. No great myth or legend of the first century, would have women as the chief eyewitnesses of the greatest event in human history. Let me repeat that. No great myth or legend of the first century has women as the chief eyewitnesses of the greatest event in human history. And what is more than that, no myth or legend, if it were the case that that the story of Christ is a myth or a legend, No great myth or legend would have its epic hero riding into Jerusalem on a donkey during his last week. No. A good myth or legend would have had him riding in on a chariot. But that's not the biblical story. No great myth or legend would have the King of Kings residing at the home of a former leper in his final days on earth. No, instead an epic hero would really be residing in the home of a dignitary, eating fine foods and delicacies. No great myth or legend of the first century would have its epic hero anxiously sweating drops of blood at the thought of the circumstances that lie before him. No, it would have him brimming with confidence and swagger. No great myth or legend of the first century would have its epic hero abandoned by his closest friends at his hour of greatest need. No myth or legend would have its hero beaten, mocked, or spat upon. And certainly, no great myth or legend would have its epic hero crucified. But back to my original point, there is no way if this were myth, if this were legend, there is no way that the gospel writers would have women as the chief eyewitnesses of the greatest event in human history. The gospel writers would not, never have dreamed of such a scenario. Wouldn't have ever come to their minds. Had they tried to invent the resurrection story, surely, surely it would have included reliable witnesses. Which in the first century meant men. Surely, had the gospel writers wanted to dream up this scenario, they would have had Peter, James, John, and the rest of the twelve, or eleven, gathered there at the tomb and, and witnessing, among the first to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Surely, if they invented the story, it would have been them. Not four women. that women were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is tremendous sociological proof for the veracity of the biblical account of the resurrection. Let me say that again. That women were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is tremendous sociological proof for the veracity of the biblical account of the resurrection. What do I mean by that? I simply mean that from a cultural perspective, This was unheard of. It would not have been invented because they wouldn't have even considered it. It wouldn't have been a part of their story. It wouldn't have been a part of fiction. So friends, when we see this, when we see four ladies show up at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, among many things it should tell us this story is emphatically true. A lot of people, a lot of Christian apologists, they spend tons of time battling, uh, 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 battling arguments against the resurrection. They hear from agnostics and atheists and naturalists and all kinds of skeptics who make this and that argument against the resurrection, against its veracity, against its truthfulness. Friends, I point to this fact as one of my greatest proofs for the resurrection: that four women showed up at the tomb. Four women. But what of these women? Why are they important? Is it just important that they are a sociological or a cultural proof for the resurrection? No. That's not their only significance here. Who were they? What do their lives teach us on Resurrection Sunday? What the Bible says about them, as I said earlier, is minimal. But their diverse backgrounds and experiences remind us that in God's kingdom, no one is overlooked, no one is ignored, no one is disregarded, no one is too far gone. I want to pay attention to three of them. I want to pay attention to Mary Magdalene this morning, I want to pay attention to Joanna, and I want to pay attention to Salome. I want to look at their three lives and and try to extract something that we can take with us on this Easter Sunday. And by the way, the painting that you see is by William Bougereau, a 19th century French artist. A beautiful painting uh, entitled Women at the Tomb. First, Mary Magdalene. Let's take a look at Mary Magdalene's life. What I'd like to do on the screen behind me is show an exhaustive biblical uh, account of her life. Are you ready for it? An exhaustive account. Here we go. That's it. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. Guess what, friends? That is the only biblical account of Mary Magdalene other than Luke 8 which says the exact same thing. You say, well, you know, why, are, why are we studying this? We're looking at a woman here who's got one verse written about her in all of the Scriptures. I'm sure you've heard many, uh, many accounts of Mary Magdalene uh, oftentimes... Uh, uh, Heretical ones, really, that have come up through skeptical traditions. But really, in the the Scriptures, Mary Magdalene is a very insignificant character. The only thing said about Mary is found in Mark 16, 9 and Luke 8, wherein it's described that Jesus had cast out seven demons from this woman. That's it. There's actually no recounting of the story. There's just a description that this was a woman who received exorcism who received an exorcism performed by Christ to extract seven demons from her life, from her soul, from her very person. That's it. Think about that for a moment. God in His wisdom, anyone He wished could have been the first to receive the revelation of the resurrection, he could have chosen kings. He could have chosen dignitaries. He could have chosen prominent men. He could have chosen the disciples. And in his wisdom, he chose a meager woman who had some of the darkest moments a human can ever experience. A woman. Was spiritually possessed, afflicted by demons. This tells me, among many things, that God is in the business of full and complete restoration. He's not interested in perfect people coming to the revelation of the empty tomb. He's interested in people who have been broken, crushed, hurt, flat on their back, chained to demonic possession. And we in the West, we have a real hard time grasping this. This idea of demon possession or spiritual affliction. But I think it manifests itself in more ways than we realize. Let me ask you, do you experience deep inner moments of darkness? Are you entrenched, entrenched in deep sin? Do you loathe the truth or cling to a skeptical or calloused, hard view of the world? Are you incensed with making money, with taking drugs, with drinking alcohol, or finding sexual satisfaction at all costs? I contend if you've said yes to any of those, you are battling deep spiritual affliction. A Christian cannot be possessed by a demon, but a Christian can certainly be afflicted by one. A Christian can be experiencing deep spiritual affliction akin to what Mary Magdalene might have experienced. And these aren't merely physical or biological problems. They are often the result of the enemy, of His attacks. Friends, when we see Mary Magdalene at the tomb, we see one thing clearly. Jesus offers full restoration. Full healing. Complete turnaround. He takes a woman who is in the darkest moment of her life and brings her to the light. The resurrection of Christ means no obstacle is too great for God that cannot be overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit, the King of the spirit world. Mary Magdalene was among the first to see the risen Christ. To hear this news, a spiritually afflicted woman made whole again. In Christ, no one is overlooked, no one is ignored, no one disregarded, no one too far gone. What about Joanna? What do we know of Joanna? The story of Joanna is also found in, in concert with the story of Mag- Mary Magdalene in Luke 8. Let's take a look. Jesus went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, Mary, uh, out of whom he had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's, Herod's steward. You'll notice in verse two, uh, there's an order to the afflictions that Jesus has healed. He says, Luke says, "Certain women had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities." Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, evil spirits." And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward. From this we can infer that Joanna was one who received healing from an infirmity. That is to say, a disease. A sickness. A sick woman, plagued by disease, healed by Christ, fully restored among the first to receive news of the resurrection. Are you sick? Do you know someone who is suffering of disease or illness or other physical handicap? That Joanna was among the first at the tomb tells us God restores the sick one. He brings healing to the one battling that infirmity, that cancer, that disease. He brings full restoration. He sends a woman formerly possessed by demons and a woman afflicted by disease there among the first to witness the risen Christ. Here in this church, friends, I can tell you firsthand, we are witnesses of healings we are not a church um that uh parades the idea of god healing we we don't uh, have healing services uh, or prayer uh, healing prayer services where we bring up crowds at a time and and uh claim to perform healings but what we do do is we bring people up one by one when they have need our elders lay hands on them and we see results We saw it happen so many times last year, many of you know. We saw cancer gone from some of our members. We saw a heart healed by a young man, Greg Thorne, back in Missouri, who we were praying for. Most recently, and and, um, he shared with us this morning at the Sunrise Service, uh, uh, Nate Varela, John and Katie's little boy. Nate, when he was... About one year old, one years old, uh, he was diagnosed with moderate autism, um, a condition that uh, very, very, very rarely gets better. In fact, usually it, it, it gets progressively worse. And here we are, two years later. The same doctor who diagnosed Nate. When John and Katie asked, could you do another diagnosis? Let's find out how he's doing. The doctor said, "I, I don't think we need to because I don't think your son is on the autism spectrum anymore. God heals. The resurrection is a story of healing, of restoration, that Joanna was there. An insignificant woman. All that had happened to her was God had taken away a disease from her body. Tells us God is a God who heals. In Christ, no one is overlooked. No one is ignored. No one disregarded. No one too far gone. But that's not all about Joanna. Did you notice the ending there in Luke 8? It says that her husband was a man by the name of Cusack. A steward of King Herod, Antipas, a very wicked character in the Bible. Uh, A steward was one who would have been in charge of the household, of some of the finances, of the oversight of the home, a privileged position, no less. But nevertheless, Joanna and Cusa being under the stewardship of Herod, guess what? among their people, among their countrymen, among their friends, among their family, they would have been viewed as traitors. Serving Herod? Serving that wicked man? Serving that wicked king? How could you? it's very likely that Joanna and her husband were quite alienated from their countrymen, from their friends, from their family as a result of this position. Maybe you can't identify with Mary Magdalene in the spiritual affliction. Maybe you can't identify with Joanna in the sense of disease or infirmity. But maybe you can identify with the idea of alienation, of separation, of being alienated from friends or family, experiencing tremendous embarrassment because of some event, some association, something in your past, you can experience, you have experienced alienation, separation, and embarrassment. That's what Joanna had experienced. That she was among the first to the tomb tells us that no one is alienated, no one is separated, no one. Too far gone. What of Salome? Salome. We learn that Salome in Mark 16, as we compare it with the other, other Gospels, in particular in Matthew chapter 27, we find out that Salome is the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, her husband Zebedee. Salome was a peculiar woman at the tomb. You might remember one of the uh, most memorable moments in the Gospels is when Salome came before the Lord and this is what she asked Him. She said, Lord, grant that these two sons of mine, James and John, your disciples, may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in the kingdom. Salome had mustered up the strength, her her sons egging her on to ask Jesus for this privileged position. A position of great honor. A position of great respect. Salome had fallen prey uh, to to this request of her sons. And she, in her pride in her selfishness, in her self-centered thinking, went before the Lord with this request. And Jesus turned to her and says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't get it. You don't know what you're asking. She was prideful. She was self-centered. She was selfish. Maybe you can't identify with spiritual affliction. Maybe you can't identify with battling disease or illness or with feeling alienated or separated but maybe you are one who also battles pride battles self-centeredness battles a selfish demeanor i think many of us can resonate with that this woman the the only words recorded of her in the bible are selfish words she was looking for her interests and her interests alone That her sons would be honored. But she was among the first at the tomb. She was among the first to hear the news of the risen Christ. One consumed with pride, selfish thoughts made whole. Given a second chance. Another lease on life. No one overlooked. No one ignored. No one disregarded. No one too far gone. Mark 16, one more time. 1-6 through Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint Jesus. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. One final verse though. But go, the angel said. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, there you will see him just as he said to you. I want to close with this verse. It's a, a peculiar verse. Two words are peculiar that I've highlighted there. And Peter. Well what does that mean? Go tell His disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him just as He told you. Why are those words there in the Gospel account? The last memory that Jesus had of Peter before He died was that of Peter denying Him three times. You may remember the story from Matthew chapter 26. It reads this way, Then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny Me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Angels speak on behalf of God when they speak they are speaking as God instructs them to speak and on this particular day when the women came to the tomb God had instructed his messenger to add two words to the message that these women were to take to the ends of the earth he said go Tell the disciples and Peter. Tell Peter that Christ is risen. That you will see Him again. Most, Some of you know that scholars believe that Peter was an informant for Mark as Mark wrote his Gospel. That is to say, Mark received... Much instruction from Peter as he penned the Gospel of Mark. There's a number of indicators in the text that that is the case. This is one of them. Tom Constable writes this about those two words and Peter. He writes, Mark recorded this special reference to Peter probably because it meant so much to Peter. Jesus still regarded Peter as one of his disciples in spite of his failures. Peter was among the first to receive news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter, one who had previously rebuked the Lord, one who had previously denied Jesus Christ, cursed His name in public. And Peter. Tell Peter, tell Peter. In Christ, no one is overlooked. No one is ignored. No one disregarded. No one too far gone. No one. The resurrection means everyone is given a fresh start. No matter what's happened in the past. No matter the spiritual affliction that you've had in the past or that you're experiencing now. No matter the physical disease, cancer, or sickness that you are undergoing right now. No matter the feeling of alienation or separation from family or friends. No matter how prideful, how callous, how hard your heart is, how selfish it is. No matter if you've previously denied the Lord Jesus Christ in public, no less. Cursed His name. These were among the first to receive revelation of the news that Jesus Christ is risen again. Friends, in Christ, no one is overlooked. No one is ignored. No one disregarded. No one too far gone. Do you remember the last story of Jesus with Peter? The last The story before Jesus died was Peter denying Christ three times. But the last story before Christ ascended into heaven was a quite different story found in John 21. In it, Jesus asked Peter the same question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, You know that I love You. Simon, son of Jonah, do You love Me? Lord, You know all things. You know I love You. Three times, Jesus asked Peter for an affirmation of his love and devotion to Christ. And with those three questions, the three times that Peter had denied Christ, wiped away. Wiped away forever. We are never too far gone with the Lord Jesus Christ. We may have done grievous things. We may be experiencing deep affliction. Whatever it is, friends, Even denying our Lord can be washed away by a new and a fresh affirmation of our faith in Christ. And all is washed away. All is washed away. Friends, this Easter, I want you to know clearly that those who came to the tomb were very unlikely characters we were very imperfect people. People of great sin and affliction. And yet they were the first to receive that news. You and I, were like them today. We are people of great sin. We are people of affliction. But the resurrection means none of us are too far gone. Believe in Christ and you will be saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, that Your Son chose to reveal Himself, His resurrection truth to the least of peoples. Reminds us that You are a God who offers redemption to all. No one is too far gone. Father, we praise You for that truth. We praise You for new life that comes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Savior. This Easter, Lord, I pray that no one would walk away from this not having returned if they've strayed or not having come to faith if they've never come before. Come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the One who gives new life to those who believe Him for it. Thank You, Father, for Your Son. In His name we pray. Amen.